0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. As we do
1: every Thursday, we jump into the time machine for Throwback Thursday. And this week, we listen back to my conversation with maybe the most memorable Texans backup quarterback. And without question, the most talented. Three years ago, I sat down with Sage Rosenfels. And oh yes, we'll get into the infamous Rosencopter game but I also asked Rosenfels about his memories of Andre Johnson, Gary Kubiak and Matt Schaub. Sage also crossed paths with a litany of legendary players and coaches over a 12 year NFL career including the likes of Nick Saban, Marty Schottenheimer, Wes Welker and Junior Seau. So without further ado let's jump into the time machine and listen to some stories from Texans quarterback Sage Rosenfels. Now, when you were an unrestricted free agent back in 2006, just take us back a little bit. How did you end up signing with Houston? What do you remember about that?
0: Well, I just spent the last uh, four years of my career. My first year was in Washington, and I spent four years uh, in Miami. And uh, the last of those four years was under Nick Saban. Uh, Actually, at the time, Jason Garrett was my quarterback coach, and Scott Linehan was my offensive coordinator? Obviously, both those two are in Dallas. Uh, you know, the last number of years here. So, uh, I, I was a free agent, and it was really the first time that I really felt like I had played some. I played a decent amount in that 2005 season uh, in Miami and, and played fairly well. So, I was excited for free agency, and uh, and Houston was the uh, you sort of hands down the team that was the most interested. Uh, you know, from one just a financial standpoint, but you know they uh, they showed uh, you know how much they really wanted me to come in and sort and of compete with David Carr and and uh, I think Kubiak really liked my athleticism uh, and, and those types of things that he really liked in a quarterback because at that time he was coming from obviously the Denver Broncos and and Jake Plummer and you know a lot of bootleg uh, in their scheme and and he saw that I could you know do some of that stuff so uh, Houston was my first and only visit I had three or four lined up but. Uh, Houston just felt right to me, and and, and Gary Kubiak uh, felt like just the right coach to, that uh, to to play for, and and I did my research as well. You know, I went back and I talked to guys who had played uh, for Gary Kubiak, guys like Brian Greasy, who really recommended that uh, you know he'd be a great guy to play for, and that his scheme was very uh, conducive to to having success as an as an NFL quarterback.
1: There was never any debate about. Kubiak as an offensive mind but I was curious how it seemed he made life easier for quarterbacks can you explain maybe some of the things that he did that really benefited quarterbacks and, and what did you think of Gary as an offensive coordinator and as an offensive mind because because you played with Norv Turner one of the all-time greats when you were a rookie in Washington
0: yeah I was lucky enough over the course of my career to play with some fantastic offensive minds and, and, I, and I, you mentioned Norv Turner but you know with him was Mike Shula who has been the Carolina uh, OC the last number of years Mark Tressman. I also played for, and obviously, you know, Jason Garrett and Scott Linhan. And so you know, you know, what Kubiak does really, really well is he doesn't uh, you know, put the entire uh, offense on the quarterback's you know, hands, in a sense. He's not forcing the quarterback to control the offensive line and all these types of things. He gives you a sort of a very precise black and white set of rules to, to follow it and to live by uh, that put you in the best possible you know, uh, position to be successful. And, uh, you know, one of the best things that he does from a passing game standpoint is that he tries to uh, draw pass plays that, you know, somebody within the, the the five positions, you know, the receivers and the tight ends and the, and the running backs, uh, somebody within those positions does have some sort of one-on-one matchup. They can't double everybody. So he creates these concepts and these diagrams and, for, and, and, and formations and things like that that allows you to go out. Uh, and get completions and find those one-on-one matchups. And uh, he doesn't force you to, uh, you know, rig the protections and tell the line everything what to do like some other offenses do. So uh, it really allows a, a young quarterback to have success to go out there and just play, uh, do what you're told sort of, and, and go through your reads with your footwork and find completions. And you know, you do find. Over the years that he has coached, I mean, just this year, Trevor Simeon, you know, a seventh round draft pick for for the Denver Broncos two years ago, no experience last year than this past year gets his first chance as a seventh round pick doesn't have uh, a crazy great year. But does go nine and six as a starter, and obviously played very well for you know what most teams would probably have as a se- second or even third string quarterback.
1: When you signed with Houston, you started when Kubiak started. Oh, and Daniels was in that draft, so you started with him in, in Houston. What did it mean? When you saw these guys win the Super Bowl with the Broncos, did, was there an extra set of emotion for you?
0: Yeah, I was you know, very excited for those players. You know, that draft, uh, and I'm sure Texans fans will remember that 2006 draft. Really, you know, looking back, there was a lot of controversy because they, they didn't draft – you know Vince Young or Reggie Bush, like a lot of fans, you know, had hoped, and they went with Mario Williams. And uh, you know, Mario really did end up being probably the best player of those three, uh, and, and is still playing at a fairly high level down there now, back at, now in Miami. But um, you know, the other players in that draft uh, were, were, were very, very good. We had two third rounders, Eric Winston, uh, who's still playing in the NFL. Our other third rounder, Charles Spencer, I think would be playing in the NFL if he didn't have a catastrophic knee injury in one of the first games of that season. Uh, And then as we go down the line, you know, as you said, you know, guys like Owen Daniels and and David Anderson uh, and and I'm sure a few other players I'm forgetting, uh, end up having really nice careers from that draft. Owen Daniels was a a fantastic tight end. Uh, I think probably the easiest uh, tight end for a quarterback to throw to, Uh, you know, every tight end is a little different. And Owen Owen wasn't a guy who could go up as, you know, six foot five and, and jump over people. But he, read, he had a great feel for, for defenses, great feel for timing. Uh, he had played quarterback, you know, coming into Wisconsin. So he had a feel for what the quarterback sort of had to go through. And I think that helped the way he ran routes and, uh, and, and, and and the way he was after the catch. I mean, he was just a very, very good tight end and had a great NFL career.
1: I want to remind our listeners, because they might not remember this. You were 4-1 and as a starter in 2007 when the Texans were 8-8 and that season. Great completion percentage. I, I thought of you as a guy who could definitely make plays as a quarterback. What trait or traits was the difference? Do you think between you being a starting NFL QB and a backup? I know here in Houston, interceptions were at times a problem for you, right?
0: Yeah, you know, I, you could probably say I was probably a little bit too inconsistent, uh, you know, to be a starter. And and uh, you know, as you as you sort of saw between the 2007 2008 year, I did not play as well in 2008 and. And I threw too many interceptions, and and I was one of those quarterbacks that uh, I, don't, I don't want to call myself a street quarterback, but I tried to make things happen. I think as a backup, as a second, third string guy, uh, you're always trying to sort of whether it's in, the word is impress, you're always trying to show something that you can make that throw, that you can make that play, uh, and that you should be on the roster. You know, I, I came up as a third string guy, just barely on the team for my first, year, four, first four years in the NFL, so I was always trying to prove that I was good enough. Uh, to, to be an NFL quarterback. And so, you know, once I became that the guy who was playing a lot, uh, it's hard to turn that off, that aggressiveness uh, as, as a quarterback. So, you know, occasionally I was too inconsistent and, and uh, threw too many receptions. Uh, and, uh, you know, I sort of relate myself to sort of how Matt Moore is, uh, who was the backup in Miami this year. He's a guy that can come in and throw three touchdown passes in the game, but he also is a guy that uh, when he's not you know playing great can also throw you know, three interceptions in the game. And I guess that's sort of how my career was.
1: Well, let me get to this thing, and I'm going to get it out of the way. Your least favorite word in the English language in the and one of the most famous words in Texans history, history it's uh, Rosencopter. And I checked Twitter on Sunday, Sage, and I see you post during the Falcons uh, championship game, welcome to the Helicopter Club, Julio. What do you remember about that Colts game? And I'll just remind everybody that you were starting – You had the Texans up by 27 to 10, by 27 to 10 score. Colts, uh, they would score a TD with about four minutes left to get within 10. And then the infamous play, what do you remember about that whole thing?
0: Well, we could probably go back and and do an entire podcast, you know, on that (laughs) game, on that play, uh, you know, the the entire day. I mean, there's a lot that, of course, I remember about it. And I will say, and I think people who do follow me on Twitter do recognize that I, I don't mind making fun of myself. You know, it is something that happened in my life. Uh, it's not something that I'm ashamed of. You know, I, I decided to go for it, uh, and, uh, and it backfired. And again, sort of going back to what I said before, as a you know backup third string guy, uh, it's it, your 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 natural. Uh, predisposition is not to slide, you know, sort of sliding for the wimps, sliding for, you know, the, the the starters who are making $20 million a year. I'm trying to earn my, my stripes out here, earn earn respect to my teammates. And, and I decided to go for it. And obviously it backfired. So, I mean, there's a lot of things I can remember about that day. I mean, Matt Schaub was supposed to be the starter, obviously. Uh, he, he got uh, ill in the middle of the night with some sort of flu or something. I came down to breakfast, you know, at eight o'clock and and I was told that uh, that I'm probably going to start. That Shab is really sick. So uh, end up starting that day. I believe we were 0 3 at the time going into the game. I probably played the best game of my life uh, up to that point. You know, through the first uh, 56 minutes of that football game. And uh, as you said, you know, the Colts scored to to bring them within 10. Uh, there was four four and a half minutes left, something like that. And, and they onside, and we got the onside. And we had about a third and, uh, if I recall, about a third and seven situation. And, uh, and and Kubiak uh, uh, called a a uh, a bootleg uh, out of sort of a heavy tight end package and uh, you you're expecting us probably just to run the football and, and you know punt the ball on third down and back up Peyton Manning inside his own 10-yard line but he called a, a called a pass play and and to be honest with you I was like man I wish we would just run the football here but okay let's let's do this thing and and I came around that left end and all I saw was green grass and and no one was there, and uh, and I was like, I can run for this first down. You know, my my natural thought when I went to the line was, if I can run, I'm gonna run. I, I want to keep that clock moving, so even if I don't get a first down, uh, the clock will will keep moving for another you know 35 or 40 seconds. And so as I was running and, and coming around the bend there. Uh, and I and once I made that decision to, uh, to, to, to to run for the first down, uh, I can't remember what player it was. I think his name was Marlon Jackson, was was a cornerback who was covering Owen Daniels on that play. He actually came off Owen once I sort of tucked the ball and uh, and let him go. And oh, I think Owen ended up being pretty much wide open and came up uh, you know, to make the tackle. And uh, rather than, of course, trying to juke him, which really wasn't part of my skill set, I just had to jump over him, which was obviously a bad idea. And uh, and didn't see Dwight Freeney and and another defensive lineman, uh, you know, chasing me from behind and it would end up being the the infamous Rosencopter. So, you know, at this point, I, I, you know, and not long after that, probably that following off season, I said, you know what? I decided to go for it. Things didn't work out. But, uh, you know, what I can teach my kids and and, and, and my son and and my daughters in life is that uh, I'd always rather have you go for it uh, because sometimes you fail. Uh, But people that don't go for it uh, never accomplish anything. So uh, I'm happy I went for it. I wish I would just hung on to the football.
1: How long did it take you to have a a sense of humor about the whole thing?
0: It took me a while. I mean, I will say that uh, that play, you know, that was that 2008 season where I did not play as well as the 2007 season, which I went four and one. And and that play did have an effect on me the rest of the year. Uh, I felt tentative. I felt cautious. uh, I felt like I was going to screw it up. Uh, we were playing the Cleveland Browns uh later on that season in nasty weather and, and we we're in a, a again a sort of a similar situation and I just wanted to hand the ball off. I, I was sort of my mindset wasn't the regular aggressive quarterback that I'd always had been in the past. Uh we came to the end of that game, we're up by about ten or so points and, and uh and I just wanted to hand the ball off and again Kubiak called a pass play and ended up going to Andre Johnson and Andre was open and ended up hitting him. But you know, I remember at the time like just nervous, just naturally nervous that you know, something bad was going to happen because of what happened earlier in that season.
1: Well, people don't think of you as Michael Vick or Steve Young, but from what I read, you actually ran for 140 yards in a game while you were at Iowa State. Do I got that right?
0: That is, yeah, that is correct. You I mean, I, yeah, I wasn't, uh, I can't say I was the most athletic quarterback in the world, but, uh, you know, I was, I was a pretty good athlete in high school, played a lot of sports, basketball, and, and track and and uh, I think I think I ran a four seven two or something at the combine, so uh yeah, I always felt, thought myself as a as a pretty decent athlete and in college at iowa state we, we ran the ball, you know they were fair sure that was the early days of the zone read uh which all the teams now do, and so at that time, when we were one of the first teams doing it it really uh you know kept teams uh off guard and and they weren't sure what to do, so everyone's always you know tackling the running back, and here I am. You're running outside, uh, you know, down the numbers, and, and no one's around me for 15 or 20 yards. That happened a few times that year, and in particular in that Colorado game, uh, which was played in about six inches of snow. I think the defense literally just could not move; they were just stuck in their tracks, literally. Uh, at, at certain aspects of that game, which I had a couple of long, long runs in that game, and end up being one of my favorite wins in Iowa State uh, in my Iowa State career.
1: Well, you mentioned Matt Schaub a little bit earlier, and and you were. You came in around the same time he came in, and so just want to get your thoughts on what what a young Matt Schaub was like. Of course, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see Matt Schaub's going to get a chance to play in a Super Bowl back here in Houston. So that that's a little bizarre for for Texans fans.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it's a little you know different. You know, I I came to Houston. David Carr was the quarterback uh, in in 2006 and and played much better, I believe, than. Uh, the previous years uh, before I was there, before Kubiak was there, but but didn't play up to what Kubiak thought he could be a, a franchise quarterback, and so they moved on from him, and and uh, obviously they traded a couple, I think a couple second round draft picks for Matt Schaub, and gave him a very large contract, and so I was sort of relegated to the number two spot again, and uh, you know Schaub and I got along well, uh, I thought at the, you know at the time, and and uh, you know I I could tell that he was going to be a good player. Uh, he was a very accurate quarterback. He was smart. Uh, again, not a guy that was a great athlete, but in that type of offense, uh, he could do enough to get outside the pocket and the play action. He was very detailed in his work. Uh, he was a very good competitor, and uh, and teammates respected him. So uh, he ended up having a you know a really really good career, and and it's still going. And this is his first uh, legit shot at uh, winning the Super Bowl title.
1: Yeah, it's funny if he wins the Super Bowl title, that'll be the third. Texan starter that's uh, won a Super Bowl title, David Carr with the Giants and Tony Banks with the Ravens. Unfortunately, none of them have won one with the Texans. Let me ask you about Andre Johnson. What comes to mind when I say his name?
0: Andre was just phenomenal. Uh, you know, it's been written about, it's been talked about, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times, I'm sure down there in the Houston media market, on the national media market. I'd never played with the physical uh, receiver like him before, you know, whatever he was, six, four and 230, 35 pounds. Uh, he was just a, a physical freak. Uh, but the way he was soft spoken, didn't say a lot, uh, and just went to work every single day. You know, he had his own Friday workouts in the summertime. Uh, he, uh, I think someone, you know, uh, labeled as like the, the, the hurricane workout or the canes workout or something like that, which, you know, some players showed up for that was extremely challenging. Uh, you know, Andre was not outworked, but he was one of those rare players that was extremely talented uh, and refused to be outworked by anybody. So uh, one of my all-time teammates, the best wide receiver uh, I ever played with uh, in my time in college or the NFL, and, and in my opinion, should be a, a Hall of Fame receiver. How do you overall remember
1: your time in Houston? And, and maybe tell us a little bit about your impression of the Texans as an organization and how it was run that sort of thing, because you've played with, was it three other teams, I think, the Vikings, the Redskins, and the Dolphins.
0: Well, in the, the New York Giants there at the end of my career. So, you know, I, I think when I look back at my Texans time, um, you know, I'm filled with a lot of happiness in the fact that was the best uh, I ever played in my NFL career. It's the most i played in my NFL career. Uh, I believe that those three years sort of solidified the fact that I was a, a legit NFL quarterback uh, that I could be respected you know, around the league uh, you know, for my quarterback play. I also look back, and, and I wish I would never left Houston. You know, I had a chance to go to up to the Minnesota Vikings to compete for a starting job, and, and, and you know, Schaub sort of had uh, – he was the starter. You know, he was being paid like the starter, and, and he was the starting quarterback for the Texans. And so I thought uh, if I could get a better chance to go up there and start in Minnesota – on another very good football team with a great running back and, and Adrian Peterson, you know, I, I would have loved that opportunity. And, and uh, I think that was the worst decision that I probably made uh, career-wise uh, in my NFL career. Um, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't have left a, a Kubiak system. It was perfect for me, Kyle Shanahan's system. Uh, the, just the way uh, I, I knew what I was doing. Uh, I, I, I knew, knew where all the bones were buried, you know, within that system and, uh, and did not play nearly as well. Uh, anywhere else in my NFL career so you know looking back uh, you know hindsight's always twenty twenty. 20 but uh, uh, looking back I wish I would never left Houston and uh, and but I, I loved playing for that organization you know really good people in that organization I liked Kubiak's coaching staff you know at that time uh, but from the owner on down from you know from Bob McNair Uh, on down I really thought it was a first class organization you know the people upstairs were very personable uh, and they respected the players I think the players respected them it was a very very good organization from from the top down and I can see why they're consistently you know a a winning team you you get drafted by the
1: Redskins out of Iowa State and you played under Marty Schottenheimer who I I got to cover a little bit when I was in school We, we went covered the couple of the Chiefs games and just a guy that's always been one of my favorites. The, the awful news recently that uh, he has Alzheimer's. What was it like to, to play for Coach Schottenheimer?
0: Well, you know, when I first got to Washington uh, and Schottenheimer drafted me, uh, you know, a lot of the veterans were, you know, sort of like, well, you know, we got this Marty guy, you know, he's Marty ball, and it's old fashioned and, you know, all these rules and he's going to be this, you know, hard coach, not player friendly. And for me, I felt like I fit right in perfectly. I mean, that's what I was used to, sort of raised on Midwestern values and hard work and and doing the right things. And, and uh, you know, the, the coaches do the coaching, the players do the playing and sort of listen to authority. So um, I was very much used to that type of atmosphere, did not bother me at all. Uh, absolutely loved playing for Marty. Uh, his son, Brian Schottenheimer, who is now the, the Indianapolis Colts quarterback's coach, he was the, the coach that really drafted me. He came to Iowa State, worked me out. Um, obviously, was impressed enough by the workout that he reported back to, to Washington that uh, he liked me as a quarterback. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a very good experience. I was only there for a year. Uh, the, the legendary after Marty got fired after one year, we went 0 uh, and 5, then came back 5 and 5, ended up the season 8 and 8, and Marty Schottenheimer got fired. So, uh, Steve Spruger came in. Uh, that was quite the experience as well. Uh, went through pretty much all of training camp with Steve Spurrier, then right at the end of training camp, right before that last preseason game, uh, ended up being traded to uh, to the Miami Dolphins.
1: I don't know if you remember much, if there was like a story like this with Marty, but th- his enthusiasm, it seemed like it would be infectious. You know, we've seen him on NFL films, but I remember, you know, shooting an interview with uh, Derek Thomas in the locker room when he was with the Chiefs, and Marty Walked into the middle of the interview just to, like, just as we're about to start interviewing Derek Thomas, just to tell Derek Thomas what a great game he played and congratulating him. And I've covered the NFL and other sports. I've never seen a head coach do that uh, and just kind of show that uh, enthusiasm with his players. And, you know, I I don't know how much of that was a show with him or how much of that was was really Marty.
0: Well, Marty really believed in the spirit of the athlete and the spirit of the competitor. Uh, and you know, sort of the grit that it takes to be successful. Um, he's one of those guys I felt like really appreciated the blue-collar you know, type of football player. I think he understood how hard it was to make it in the NFL, how hard it was to be great, how hard it is to win uh, regularly and continuously. You know, He never quite made it over the top and won a Super Bowl, but the guy was consistently winning a lot of football games, consistently uh, in the playoffs, deep in the playoffs, just couldn't get over the hump uh and, and and uh but he was a, a fantastic football coach um i believe for the most part you know when i was there in washington we had a couple older guys i'm not gonna name names but a couple older guys who are hall of famers uh who uh who didn't really you know love the way he he coached because he was uh, he didn't really care if you were uh you know the the, the 12-year veteran making seven million dollars a year or you're the un- undrafted free agent he treated everybody Pretty much the same. You had to go through all the drills. You had to go through have all the same rules. And that's just how he believed uh, a team should be set up. So uh, I said, for me, a young player like that, uh, that fit perfectly into what I was used to. Uh, and I think uh, he was a fantastic football coach and, and uh, one of the best coaches I ever played for. And I was very lucky that my rookie year, he was the head coach. I, I truly believe some of those sort of values that he taught me and that I learned from that that season really did help me and carry me to have a long uh, you know, 12-year NFL career.
1: Yeah, I might be about to mention those Hall of Famers that you were talking about. But before I, I, I ask you about that, the crazy thing about Washington, your QB was Tony Banks, if I remember right. And then you succeeded him as the backup here in Houston. So you guys have kind of crossed paths. He's still a uh, broadcaster down here with the Texans.
0: Yeah, you know, T. Banks. Uh, yeah, so we, we had a situation where Jeff George was the starter, uh, a guy named Todd Husack. Uh, who had the previous season was a six-round draft pick from Stanford, uh, and then myself was a third-string guy. Well, well Jeff, uh, George missed a lot of training camp. Um, was it, had, I think, a, sh- a shoulder soreness or something. So Todd Husack got a lot of time uh, as the starter in those first couple preseason games and didn't play very well. And the team was really concerned that, you know, Jeff is injured all year. We don't have a veteran backup. So they ended up basically releasing Husak bringing in Tony Banks, who had just gotten cut. Uh, very surprised, cut uh, by the Dallas Cowboys. You know, at that time, this goes. You know, Tony previously had been with the Baltimore Ravens when they won the Super Bowl. So, you know, Tony gets cut by the Dallas Cowboys. We immediately pick him up. Literally hours later, uh, we sign him and pick him up. And then two two weeks into the season, uh, the the wa- Washington decides to let go of Jeff George. Uh, they were not happy with his performance. They weren't. They weren't happy with his leadership. And uh, after two weeks, they they basically fire him. Uh, and make Tony banks a starter, and I was the the backup. We ended up saying Kent Graham, uh basically out of retirement, the old sort of new york Giants and and Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback and uh, so it was myself as a young rookie and and definitely two elder statesmen uh, in the qB room it was It was actually a very fun season, a uh, very up and down season, and I was probably very again going back to that third string quarterback uh, conversation. I was very lucky i didn't play at all that year. I was definitely under prepared. Uh, not ready for the NFL game.
1: Yeah, I can't. Graham, I believe, had a cup of coffee here in Houston. Also, uh, let me ask you about you had future Hall of Famers: Daryl Green, Bruce Smith, Champ Bailey. Uh, what do you remember about being around those guys?
0: That was a very interesting, you know, thing as well. You know, Marty's first meeting, the first team meeting that I ever sat in. Of course, I'm going to go in. I'm going to sit in the back because I don't want to take anybody else's seat. So I sort of sit in the far back left corner, uh, and I'm there, you know, 15 minutes early. Uh, for that meeting and, and about three minutes before the meeting starts, when everyone's pretty much sat down, Daryl Green walks up to me and says, hey, son, you're in my seat. <laughs> so I had to move. You know, Daryl had been on that team for about 20 seasons and, and I just moved luckily one over. And, and that was my really first you know experience with Daryl Green, one of the all time great cornerbacks uh, in NFL history. So, yeah, that team had a lot of talent. You know, that was early Dan Snyder years where he was signing some really highly priced you know free agents uh, uh, you know, around the NFL, older guys, Deion Dion Sanders wasn't on that team, but he was there the previous year. Uh, you know, we had, so we had a lot of talent, you know, on that football team and, uh, it, it did take a while. Uh, but finally we started playing better and better as the season went on. And again, ended up eight and eight at the end of that season. And unfortunately, uh, you know, Snatter was so used to sort of winning and he felt winning wasn't that hard, I guess that uh, he let go of Marty Schottenheimer after just one season.
1: Your next stop is Miami where you had a pretty interesting cast of characters there. And I just wondered if you're in the huddle, do you get a word in edgewise when hall of famer, Chris Carter is in the huddle with you?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so, 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 so Chris, you know, that season, uh, he wasn't originally on the team. And as we went through the year, I believe we are about five and one. We went to Denver and got a huge win uh, at Denver. And I think it was like a Sunday night football game. And uh, But we had both of our starting receivers get hurt in that football game. Uh, Rondé Gatson got hurt with a with a wrist injury. Pretty much was going to put him out the rest of the year if he was going to have surgery. And Chris Chambers had a terrible concussion uh, in that game. And so we were really in desperate need of a wide receiver. And Chris Carter lived right up the road in, in Boca Raton. And uh, we ended up signing him. He had been, you know, I, I, you could say on the street for – for you know, the beginning of that season, and I don't even think he was in a training camp. And so uh, when we signed Chris, we def- desperately need some wide receiver help. And uh, so, yeah, I, I had a chance to play with another Hall of Famer, you know, again. And, you know, Jason Taylor was, was also on that Miami team. He's up for the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, I think Zach Thomas, though his name's not mentioned, uh, should be at some point in the Hall of Fame. He was just an unbelievable linebacker, a phenomenal uh, middle linebacker. Uh, not that season, but the following season, Junior Seau, was on that football team. Obviously, Ricky Williams was our running back uh, those first couple years before he sort of had his hiatus. You know, that first year I was in Miami, he ran for about 850 yards, probably the, the most impressive individual performance I'd ever seen uh, as an athlete. Uh, Ricky was just phenomenal that uh, 2002 season. So yeah, that Miami team was definitely star-studded as well.
1: Yeah, you mentioned a guy that I wanted to ask you about, Junior Seau. Do you, do you have a story for Junior No, not
0: really. I mean, other than the fact that he pretty much called everybody Buddy, I mean, that was pretty much his phrase for everybody on the football team. I think it was, one, it was a friendly phrase, and two, is because there's just no way you can remember everybody's name. And the guy that had been around for that long at that time, I think it was his 13th or 14th season, uh, you know, been through literally thousands of football players. And so he just called everybody Buddy. He was very happy-go-lucky, always in sort of a good mood in the locker room, uh, always singing Different songs in the locker room, in the train room, um, and uh, was an excellent teammate. And I, and I and a guy that in practice absolutely went full speed all the time. I mean, dangerously went full speed all the time. He brought practice up to a whole nother level uh, at that will linebacker position.
1: I also believe you you had a young wide receiver, a little known guy out of Texas Tech named Wes Welker.
0: Is that right? That is correct. Uh, I, I, let me think. This is two thousand and. For uh, Dave Wanstead's last year as head coach, uh, North Turner has now moved on uh, to the Oakland Raiders to be their head coach. And, and we had a, a kickoff punt returner. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember his name. Uh, the only reason I remember it or the only reason I remember, you remember he exists is because he was replaced by Wes Welker. The first couple of games of the year, um, which we, but we lost both those games, he fumbled about three or four different punts slash kickoffs. And, um, you know, we we weren't good enough to to win games when we're fumbling uh, punt returns. And so we signed Wes Welker as sort of a guy who, listen, you're going to catch the ball on a punt and get five yards and get down. And um, uh, so, you know, first game of the year, he comes out there and, boom, right off the bat, like a 19-yard return, then like an 8-yard return, then like a 30-yard return. And uh, he never really worked his way into the wide receiver rotation uh, in that 2004 year. But the next year when Nick Saban came in, uh, he became our third wide receiver. He became our slot wide receiver on that football team. And and you know I remember Nick even saying we're trying to replace this kid West Welker, but he's so dang good that uh, you know our, all of our nickel you know cornerbacks just can't cover him. And so obviously you know from that West had an unbelievable NFL career. Moving on to New England, putting up some huge numbers there uh, for for half a decade uh, or so. Then obviously going out to Denver to sort of finish off his uh, his career.
1: Did you have any idea at that time? Could you, could you see it when he first came in?
0: Well, at that time, I was, I, I would say I didn't understand the NFL game the way I now look back and understand it. Uh, you know, I, I didn't realize at the time, I just remember Pat Sertan saying, who was our all-pro or, 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 or pro-bowl cornerback, who on third down went into the slot and played sort of that nickel-will position, which is pretty much all man-to-man and him saying I can't cover this kid, and of course, you know I was one of the one of the quarterbacks running the scout team, and it, he, he was correct. I mean, West was getting open all the time. He was almost impossible to cover. He brought it on every single route, every single play, and uh, he was just a, a thorn in the side of the the, the Miami Dolphins cornerbacks, you know, that season. So, uh, yeah, I am not surprised after watching him really beat up on Sam Madison and Pat Sertain, our two uh, Pro Bowl cornerbacks, that he would become a very very good slot wide receiver in the NFL. You
1: just mentioned a name that got everybody's attention a, a few minutes ago, Nick Saban. Uh, what was it like working with him and, and dealing with him on a daily basis?
0: Well, I I really have nothing but good things to say about playing for Coach Saban. Uh, you know, I was the third string quarterback going into that 2005 year. Uh, Gus Farratt and A.J. Feely were sort of battling out for the, the starting spot. and I was the third guy, uh, not getting nearly this, the same amount of reps as those guys, and you know, I remember at one point during the summertime, I had a discussion with Jason Garrett, who was our quarterbacks coach, and he said, you know, just make those reps count. At the end of the day, you're going to have a a film that says eight, that says Sage Fells on it, and you're going to have how many plays are on it. Uh, we're going to look at that film, and and, and you know, it, wh- you make whether it's 100 reps at the end of the summer or whether it's 300 reps. We're going to see that film and see how you do. And each quarterback will have their own film. So I just try to make the most of my opportunities, and I played extremely well, uh, whether it was the summer or during training camp. Played very well in those preseason games. Uh, And going into week one, it actually moved me up to be uh, the number two quarterback that year ahead of A.J. Feely. And uh, and so, yeah, I I really have nothing but good things to say about Nick Saban. He was extremely hard as a head coach, absolutely. Um, You had to be in just phenomenal shape. I mean, he really you know, whipped you into shape, and and, and practices were were long, and they were grueling, Uh, but I always thought everything sort of made sense about how he did. Everything he did was for a reason. Every drill he did was for a reason. It wasn't just go and hit your head against the wall. Uh, I think he enjoyed the science of the game, Uh, but yeah, he was extremely hard head coach, physically hard head coach to play for, but if you took care of your own business, and you're on time, and you did all the right things, I thought in some ways he was an easy coach to play for.
1: That was former fourth-round pick out of Iowa State, Sage Rosenfels. In his three years in Houston, Sage threw 24 touchdowns and 23 interceptions and 453 passing attempts. A little bit of the inconsistency that we talked about in our conversation. He completed 65.6% of his passes. He was a hell of an athlete, though. All-State honorable mention in basketball, in high school, two-time All-State in baseball, and he even made state on the 4x200 relay in his one year in track. Well, I hope you enjoyed our weekly Throwback Thursday podcast. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody.
0: You're listening to Houston Sports Talk.
1: Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.